You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Amen. Thank you, Amanda. Church family, good to see you this week. Glad you're with us here this Sunday evening, afternoon, wherever we are. And if you are a guest among us, I want to welcome you. My name is Shay Sumlin, one of the pastors here. And I have to ask you to bear with me. I'm a little like emotionally wrecked right now. I just, just got back from dropping my daughter off at college, my firstborn. And I thought I was good. And on the way home, me, God, and Kenny Chesney met in the car. There goes my life. Have you heard that song? Good night. It'll mess you up. So my eyes are burning right now. I've got a little bit of an ugly cry headache. And so I'm going to power through this. Uh, We'll do this together. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, if you have a Bible, turn with me there. Uh, We're going to continue with our Onward series as we really just kind of uh, recalibrate ourselves as a church and kind of put that North Star back in front of us here for a few weeks leading up uh, to the fall and really thinking about just the kind of church we know the Lord has called us to be. And, um, and what it means here as in the days ahead for Northway to really re-embrace meaningful membership and uh, intentional discipleship as a church. And so uh, last week we looked at the idea of uh, we believe in the foundations of our faith that we hold fast to and can't depart from. And then this week we're going to a little, little bit talk about the gathering. And so do me a favor for just a moment. I want you to look around the room for just a moment. Okay, and, and by looking at the room, I don't mean the, the decor, like the, the, the black hole of black that we have around us that looks like the Bomb Factory uh, Club here in Dallas for, for a while. I'm talking about, look at the people, look at the faces around you. And have you ever asked the question, why are we here? Like, why do we gather on a Sunday in this space as the assembled body? Like, why do we come together? And, and of all the things that we do in this time together, why do we do the things that we do in this gathering? Now, I've shared before, when I first came to faith, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so when I finally stepped foot in a church, it was absolutely foreign to me. Like, I really did not understand all that was going on in this space. I, I expected there was a preacher who was going to preach, but... I didn't know why quite there, why there was hand motions to a lot of the songs that were going on in the church I was in. I, I didn't understand why they were passing shot glasses down the row. I didn't understand the, the offering plate was weird to me. Was this a give or a take? Was it like the penny at the, the counter at the grocery store? Give a penny, take a penny. I didn't know what that was. It was just a bizarre experience. And, but uh, it wasn't until later on, as I, in my deeper into my walk with the Lord, that I really hit a stagnancy with the Sunday gatherings. I hit this place where I was just, it felt mechanical, it felt rote, I felt like my heart was detached from it. I was just kind of checking a box and coming. And really, it was in that season when I really began to ask, why do we gather? Like, wh- who set this thing up? And what are we supposed to be doing in this time together? In many ways, that's what I want to explore here this week is just the importance, the theology of a Sunday gathering. And, and what this is about. And, you know, the truth is, um, before we get to Hebrews 10, because I think we're going to see some key things there that we need to see, but um, I think it's important to note that uh, the idea of corporate gatherings of God's people isn't something that's just in the New Testament. This goes all the way back to the very beginning. Our God, the God of the Bible, has always been a God 
who desires to be present among his people, who desires to have his people enter into his presence corporately and worship together. Like this is the heart of our God. From the moment he put Adam and Eve in that garden, his desire to walk with them, um, and even though sin then came in and wrecked everything, Genesis 3, as soon as sin ensued, all that got changed. Man and woman were set outside of God's presence. Um, we were alienated from God for the rest of eternity in, in many ways. And from that moment forward, starting in Genesis 3, God immediately initiated a rescue plan. Because again, God's desire is to not see sin separate us, but, but to see us come together in full access of his presence. And so he initiated a rescue plan, and he, he started working this thing out. And eventually God's people would rebel again in the Tower of Babel, and God would scatter them once again away. But in doing so, God would take a particular group of people, a particular nation, and call form a nation for himself, a people for himself, the Israelites, to enjoy access to him and worship in his presence. And then it wasn't long before they would be enslaved um, to their, their oppressors in Egypt. For 430 years, God's people are removed and held captive against their will in Egypt when God says it's time to rescue them again. I, I want to deliver them. But what's interesting, and a great picture of this, Exodus 8.1 says that when God was going to rescue Egypt, the reason he did it wasn't just to free them from their oppressors so they can go do what they want. It was to free them so that they could worship him. God has always desired to be present among his people with unhindered access to him. And, and it's a beautiful picture. And even after Israel is delivered and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, God has Moses set up a tabernacle so that God could be with his people. So wherever they wandered in the desert, God was with them. But it wasn't just come as you want. This was a designed approach because the sinfulness of man could not enjoy the presence of a holy God. And so God created a pathway of atonement where sin could be forgiven. And so sacrifices were needed so that life could be given for a life, blood could be shed, and man and woman could be cleansed and freed and to be able to enter into that access and worship of the presence of God. And that went on until uh, literally the tabernacle would be turned into the temple in Jerusalem, and there the Shekinah, the glory of God, would dwell amongst his people. And even then, God mandated three corporate gatherings every year, at least. Of all the festivals and feasts in Israel, three of them were mandatory that no matter where you were living, if you were living in Babylon or if you were living out in Rome, wherever it was, you had to pilgrimage in in many ways and come in together to worship, both at the, the Feast of Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, God desired to be with his people. But then when Jesus came, everything changed. God, in the perfect, ripe moment in time, sends his son Jesus to our earth to, again, live the life we couldn't live in perfect righteousness and obedience to God. And he gave his life on the cross as the once and for all sacrifice. No longer is it us bringing animals and sacrificing them so that we can uh, be, have our sins atoned for and enter into the access of God. Now it's once and for all 
The Son of Man will lay down his life, shed his blood on that cross, three days later rise from the grave to bring about the newness of life. And whoever puts their faith in him by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, receives not only salvation, but the beauty of salvation, the perfect shalom of God, the entrance and access into his presence unhindered. Um, even, Even when Jesus died on the cross, that veil tore in the Holy of Holies, so that access could be granted. And this beautiful thing, and that's, in fact, this culmination of Jesus, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, all the promises of God that were in the Old Testament, all the shadows and the structures that were there, they all gave way to the substance. They were all pointing to the substance that was in Christ. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus, and the shadows give way to the substance, and we who were once far off have now been brought near, intimate access. God no longer dwells in brick and mortar, but he now dwells inside us. Accessed by faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to make his home within us. We are the new temple. And so worship for us is no longer limited, it's no longer restricted to certain times and certain places And now because of a righted view of Christ and the new covenant that he has ushered in with God's people, a whole new paradigm shifts for what gathered worship is. Now, again, instead of gathering just a few times a year, we get to gather weekly. Instead of meeting at the temple in Jerusalem, we get to worship where we are in local assemblies where we live Instead of gathering on on a Saturday right before the Sabbath now, which would have been common before, now Christians begin starting, and as we see in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Christians start begin gathering on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, in honor of the day that Christ rose from the dead so that their assemblies would be identified primarily with the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And they begin, begin gathering Sunday mornings and And God's presence isn't restricted to the holy of holies, guarded by priests who can only enter in once a year. No, God now dwells in all of his people, intimate access wherever they are, his presence is. Matthew 28, behold, I'll be with you always. And so a radical shift takes place. For the last 2,000 years, we've been enjoying this common gift of grace that God has given the church in our assembly together. Now, in the time that we have left, I want to show you through Hebrews 10, three distinct aspects that make this gathering so unique that it cannot happen anywhere else. What happens in this room? Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews in verses one through 18 of chapter 10 is writing to show that Jesus is indeed the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. We don't have to bring sacrifices of animals anymore to God. Now we get to bring sacrifice of our lives, living for him. Romans chapter 12, verse one, presenting our entire bodies, our whole lives as an offering of worship to God. And and so Jesus has created this access now for us in communion and worship with the presence of God. And then in verses 19 through 25, He's going to talk about the implications of Jesus' sacrifice. Will you do me a favor? I know we read this at the beginning. Would you stand with me if you would right now? I want to read this passage over us. Just feel what's being said in this moment. 
in light of all that Jesus has done, he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, through that veil, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us then draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts having been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, which is Jesus, without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but rather encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. This is God's word. Y'all can be seated. Three things, three important things I think I want to show us here that I think we see here that makes our gathering unique. One, our gathering is uniquely corporate and visible. Second, this gathering is uniquely vertical. And third, this gathering is uniquely horizontal. So here's what I mean by that. Let's start. It's uniquely corporate and visible. See at the beginning of verse 25, not neglecting to meet not forsaking, one translation says, our assembly together. There is an assembly of togetherness right here. There is something that is just uniquely corporate and it's gonna be uniquely visible in this gathering. There, there's something beautiful on Sundays that is happening when we come together as the church that just cannot happen anywhere else. There is no other time and place in the week when we are all together as a local assembly, like we are united in faith right here. And that's no small thing. That's no insignificant thing, though it is nearly impossible for us to not take for granted the blessing that we have in this space here in the West and the American um, culture that we're in. It's almost near impossible to not take this gathering for granted because the reality is there are real Christians in real places in our world today who do not have the privilege of gathering corporately and visible like we do right here whose very lives are threatened, who the laws of the culture can lead to severe persecution for holding an assembly in the name of Jesus in a place like this. There are real people and who, who will suffer with that kind of form of persecution. And to be fair, true persecution isn't just being made fun of, though it can be, but that's not the essence of it. True persecution is the real and actual threat that at any moment we can be taken away from each other. It's the real, actual threat. I mean, we weren't persecuted this past year necessarily, but did we not taste that during the pandemic? When the church shut down, when 
when we were forced to be apart from each other for a period of time and felt the weirdness of online church and felt the disconnectedness and felt the isolation and the loneliness and faces that I was so used to seeing and taking joy from each and every Sunday, not seeing for over a year in some cases. Imagine that. that that's the real threat for many Christians in our world today because of pers- persecution. And it's easy for us to take this for granted. What a gift this is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, German Christian who lived and wrote during World War II, ultimately was, um, had his life taken from him, who watched so many other privileges taken in his day, wrote these words. It's easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands, they stand alone. They know that the visible fellowship is a blessing. And it is. I remember years ago, uh, taking a mission trip down to Sudan, South Sudan, shortly after the civil war there. And we were meeting with three different missionaries that were on the field who were alone, who had been ministering kind of solo in heavily um, uh, Muslim-operated areas and where there was severe persecution. And these three were alone. And we had the distinct uh, privilege and honor of actually one night bringing those three together along with our team and getting a chance just to worship together, to open the word of God, to sing together, to pray over one another, to encourage one another. And I remember looking over and see one of the gentlemen just weeping and then saying, I haven't experienced this in over a year. I forgot what it was like to come together, even with people I've never met before, but the simple joy of knowing that we are united by the blood of Jesus Christ and to have this space to encourage one another and hear from the word of God and minister to each other in this space was so life-giving. There's something so unique about this together. I mean, even on a lower bar, I've told you, I remember being in Thailand on a mission trip, being out in northern jungle of Thailand, in Lampong, and walking through these, these, uh, these streets that were so deserted, these little dirt roads, and looking down the road and seeing somebody that had an American flag do-rag on their head and going, are you an American? And they're like, yes, are you an American? Yes, USA. You know, it's like the Olympics was brought right there in that moment. It was this pure, illicit joy that there was somebody else who shared this bond as an American in this foreign place. And how much more should it mean for us who are united and bonded, not just by the stars and stripes, but by the blood of Christ, who get to enjoy this one faith, this communion that we have together that is corporate, invisible. You know, in response to what Jesus has done for us, the author of Hebrews says three times in these seven verses, let us, 14 times in these seven verses, he uses the phrase, we, us, one another. 
Over and over, there's this corporate refrain about the uniqueness of this gathering where we can take people who are from different cultural backgrounds, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different sociopolitical backgrounds. We can take all these people together, and yet the one thing that we celebrate in common is the blood of Christ that unites us. And this is what Paul was getting at in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. We read last week, he says, There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It is the oneness of our faith in Jesus that brings us together, that is uniquely corporate and uniquely visible in this space. And when we get to, ga- get to gather together in that oneness every Sunday in the city of Dallas, it is uniquely corporate, uniquely visible. But it's not just that. What makes us different than just us getting together in a movie theater, or hanging out in a coffee shop or gathering somewhere else is that this space is also uniquely vertical. And here's what I mean by this. Look at this in verse 22 and following. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And let our bodies, and and our bodies which are washed, by the way, with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." What we are doing first and foremost in this gathering when we come in here together is we are publicly and we are corporately holding fast to united profession of faith in Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is our greatest hope, our greatest treasure, is in him who has saved us. There are, all of us are probably going to attend lots of crowded events sometime this fall, Lord willing. We can gather by the thousands at AT AT&T Stadium, and we can watch the Cowboys try to win. We can gather together by the thousands in a concert and watch T-Swift and sing some songs together. We can gather by the thousands at other different types of venues. But here's the difference. Of all those performers and players and, and people that we would gather in thousands to watch, not one of them rules and reigns over the heavens and the earth. And not one of them has ever rescued us from sin and death. Only Jesus has. There is no name in heaven on earth that is greater than the name of Jesus Christ. And when we gather in this room, we are connected vertically to the living Savior who rules and reigns and has rescued us. And that is uniquely vertical. And I think biblically speaking and church history would affirm this is there's generally four unique ways in which we are drawing near to God vertically in this time together. Legan Duncan once uh, synthesized it this way. We gather to preach the word, to sing the word, to see the word, and to pray the word. And think about those things. We gather to preach the word, to read and teach and preach the word of God. We do not assemble in this place to hear my popular opinions about life, We do not gather and assemble in this room so I can share funny little clever anecdotes that'll make you feel better about yourself. 
We're not gathering or assembling this room so I can use whatever latest Netflix show is to try to color five best ways to live your best life now. That's not what we're gathering for in this room. We are gathering for a much higher name and a much higher purpose. We gather around the hope that has been given to us through the word of God. The fact is God has spoken to us and we wanna hear his voice. He has given us his word. Paul, writing to a young pastor whom he left in Ephesus, modern day Turkey, to pastor the church there, writes these words in 1 Timothy 4.13 when he says, until I come, Timothy, here's what I want your main business to be about in your church. Devote yourself, give attention to, listen to what he says, the public reading of scripture, the exhortation of it, and the teaching of it. Did you hear those three things? The public reading of scripture. Again, that's what we hold the word of God so important. We want, it's part of why you need to bring your Bibles when you come here because you don't want to hear from me. We want to open up the word of God. What does God's word have to say? We want to read it together. We want to see the words that God has given us. And we want to teach it. We want to understand its original context. We don't want to just hijack it and make it try to fit and cram it somehow or make our Western worldview be placed upon this text and interpret it through that lens. We want to go back and, well, what did God mean by what God said originally? And then we want to exhort it, which is the word for persuasion, to preach. We want to convince one another this is true. Therefore, it's worthy of giving our whole lives to it in obedience for the sake of the call of Jesus Christ. But we gather to read, preach, teach the word of God. But we also gather to sing the word of God. Ephesians chapter five, verse 19 says, we are to dress one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. Colossians 3.16 says the same thing, essentially, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We believe that when we sing, we are giving an external expression to an internal reality. We are delighting in the Lord to such a degree that our hearts cannot help but overflow in worship and adoration and gratitude and thankfulness for who God is and what he has done. And so we sing that. And did you catch the specific phrasing in those commands that we would teach and admonish one another through song? That we're actually, what that means is we're not just singing to hear ourselves sing. We're not just singing empty and meaningless words. We're not just singing in a vacuum. And we're not just getting excited because Josh kicked in the bass real loud. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. That feels good. That's not what we're doing. We're singing the confession of our God, who he is and what he has done over one another. We are united in this adoration and confession of who he is and what he's done. And so when we sing, we're singing over one another, reminding ourselves of who our hope is as a body, not just as individuals. And so we preach the word, we sing the word, we also see the word in our gatherings. This helps us connect vertically. We see the word, meaning Christ has um, instituted 
two primary ordinances that are be, to be regularly practiced in the church so that we can have a visual picture of who our God is and what he has done to save us. One of those is communion, which we practice every week here at Northway. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about communion, how Christ, the night he was, had his last supper with the disciples before he went to the cross, shared in that Passover meal, which traditionally was remembering and celebrating God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt and their bondage of slavery and the, the lamb that they took and the blood of a sacrificed lamb and put it over their door frame so that the, the angel of death would pass over and save them. Jesus that night, remember, reframed everything and said all those were shadows. Remember, those are the promises of God, and they find their yes in me. It's pointing to me. I'm the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world, not just to get you out of the bondage in Egypt, but to get you out of the bondage of sin, Satan, and death. And it is my blood that has been poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. And so when we hold up the bread, we're remembering that there was a a, a, a substitute that was needed, that the penalty of sin was death. And we needed somebody else to come be the Lamb of God for us to be sacrificed. Jesus gave his own body for that. And then when we hold up the cup, we're remembering Christ's blood through the, the fruit of the vine. It's reminding us that it's Christ's blood that has cleansed us, not our own works, but his work. And it's a visual picture that Christ is so gracious to institute. When we do it, it's not meaningless. It's meant to give us a picture. And then we've also, we also instituted baptism. Matthew 28, as we go and make disciples of all nations, we're to baptize one another in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so every time we see a baptism in our gatherings, we're having a visual picture of the gospel. We're celebrating the testimony of a brother or sister who's, who's testifying that they've been saved by the blood of Christ, and they're gonna visualize that through the metaphor of baptism that shows of their identification with Jesus, that they have been buried in his death and they've been raised to walk in the newness of life, just as Christ died and rose again. And we celebrate that. And there's a visual picture of one remembering, not only celebrating what God has done to save this person, but it reminds us of when he had saved us. It tenders our hearts. But even more importantly, it's a reminder that for that individual right there and us who are watching that baptism, they're not disconnected. They're not disconnected. It's not that we were just saved from something, hell, and we're not just saved for something, heaven. We were saved into something, the body of Christ. And so when that brother or sister goes into that water, representing their, not only their identification with Jesus, but their identification with his body, you and I. And so there's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor that God has given us visually to see the word of God in our gatherings. And then lastly, as we connect vertically, we pray the word of God in our gatherings. Paul wrote to Timothy again, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and said that when we gather, we're to spend time praying, interceding for kings and those in, uh, in authority so that peace may be upon the church and in the land. And he also calls in verse 8 for the men of the church to rise up with holy hands lifted up in prayer. And we're to be a prayerful people in our gatherings, interceding for the will of God to be bound on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to rally our people towards that. I've said it before, when you see the absence of prayer in a church, it is always the indication of the presence of pride. It is a people who think they don't need God, that we can do this ourselves. 
And that couldn't be further from the truth. When you see a church praying, it's an indication they understand their weakness. They understand their impotence to bring about the will of God, to bring about the power of God, to transform lives and circumstances. And the power of the Spirit can, and we are dependent upon God for that. And so we want to be a praying people. Here at Northway, we do that a few ways. One, we have an extension of our Sunday gatherings once a month called Worship and Prayer, where we try to get the whole body to assemble so we can lift specific needs that have accrued during that month, whether it's individual needs or whether it's needs of the church as a whole, whether it's needs of the community around us, needs of missionaries who are out in the field right now, just asking God's will to be done and crying out to him. And then we also have prayer in our gatherings. Amanda just led us here just a moment ago, and we want to take each week things that are going on in our church, things that are going on in the world, we want to just put them before the body and be mindful of them and pray and ask for God's intercession. And then one of the things I am hopeful that we're putting together right now is an intercessory prayer team who's going to be anchored at all three of our gatherings on Sunday. Um, once we open up the next-gen building, which, by the way, Lord willing, will be ready in about a month and a half, the fellowship hall and the next-gen building. And when those open, that'll create some more space for us. And we're going to have a designated prayer room once again for men and women who are back there that can be accessed anytime during our gatherings. Because here's, here's the reality. We're going to go through many of the books of the Bible. We're going to go through them expositionally, verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter, and because we believe God's Word speaks and bears weight on all of our situations in our day, and we're going to put his word before our lives. But I also recognize when I say, hey, turn to the book of Haggai, and you're like, I don't know, what, what is that? Do you, all I know is I'm walking through incredible pain right now, walking through a horrific divorce. I'm walking through um, cancer right now. I'm walking through chronic suffering in my body. I'm walking through a, a broken relationship with said person, whatever it may be. In that moment, if the Spirit is pressing upon you that you got the freedom to get up and go right back into one of those rooms during our gatherings and just have some faithful men and women who've been trained to just come around you and pray and just intercede. By the way, if you want to serve on that team, if, if you are given to prayer in that regard, we would love to have you. Email our connections team and we can help get you trained and set up for that. But we want to be a church of prayer in our gatherings over one another. So we want to preach the word we want to sing the word, we want to see the word, we want to pray the word in our gatherings to help us connect vertically with God. But it's not just uniquely corporate and visible, it's not just uniquely vertical that we gather, it's also uniquely horizontal. We'll close out here, see this in verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, two particular things that jump out at me here that I think are worthy of camping on for just a moment here. One is our not neglecting the assembly together. Not forsaking a regular gathering together as the church in this space. The reality is you and I need each other. We need each other in our worship of God. We were designed for one another in our worship of God. The author of Hebrews actually assumes that choosing not to gather with the rest of the saints locally that we are here with is actually detrimental not only to your own spiritual formation, but to the rest of the bodies as well. 
You see, the Bible knows nothing of what it means to be a professing follower of Jesus who forsakes the gathering with the rest of his bride. And I hear this all the time. I've got it in my family, but folks who will continually say, listen, I don't, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. My faith is private. I can worship from home. There's too much hypocrisy in the church, and I'm just going to stay back there. I've heard that so many times. I've said it before in my own life before. But there's a few things we need to get straight. One, we need to get our language correct. First of all, none of us go to church. We are the church. Every time the word church is used in the Greek in the New Testament, it is never used singular. It's plural. The body is the church together. And true, we don't need to gather with the church on Sunday in order to be a Christian. That is only done by putting your faith in the grace and the work of Jesus Christ alone, trusting in his work for you for your salvation. However, God has so wired our salvation that we need each other in order to grow in our salvation. Over and over, the scripture refers to the church as the body, where Christ is the head. And it's the same with our bodies. Our bodies are consist of a lot of individual organs, but cannot survive without the other. They're all dependent upon each other for the health of the system. And in the same way, that's how the church is viewed in scripture. We are independent parts, all dependent upon one another and ultimately our head. We function together in corporate unity to not gather as the local church assembled would have made no sense to the authors of the New Testament. None. And one of the concerning trends that I've just seen in my years of vocational ministry and most pastors and most of our communities around here would say the same thing, that a lot of us, the average attendance pattern for most folks in the church is about once every three weeks. Once every three weeks. And for many folks, the, the duration of being able to stay entered in at one body doesn't go sometimes past two or three years before we're on to the next one. And then it's once every three weeks that we gather. And I'm going to be real careful here because I, I don't want to toe the line well between the two L's. Legalism, which we don't want to go into. We don't want to touch and that of laziness. And there's a difference. And legalistically, we're not, nobody's keeping tabs here, all right? Nobody's checking roll. Nobody's, you know, you miss a week and we're all over you. Better get back here or else. We don't hold to an Orthodox Catholic position, a Roman Catholic position where um, non-church attendance in this particular church is a mortal sin and worthy of hell. We don't hold to that. Scriptures don't teach that. However, there is such a thing with some as a priority issue, an issue of abdication, an issue of apathy, laziness towards the gathering, to where other things, I mean, there's grace upon grace. All of us are going to go on vacations and we're going to have work schedules and things like that from time to time, but we're not, we're not talking about it. We're talking about the nominal, I'll just kind of go when I feel like it, where Church, it's one out of every three weeks because it's about one-third importance as all these other things. As my, as my kids' uh, club sports schedule, which now has games on Sundays, and it's the same importance as my weekend warrior, you know, go conquer this place this weekend. And, and it just kind of just, you know, one of the many other things going on. And the truth is, is it, that is an indication of a priority issue. 
the truth is, it's not just when, when we're absent, we're, we're um, you know, that you're missing out on what's going on here. We're missing out on you. We're missing out on the togetherness, the one anotherness that God created for our good as a grace. So I want to be very careful. I just I want to put that vision in front of us that compels us towards a gathering. I don't want to do drive-by guiltings and shamings. But at the same time, coming off the heels of this pandemic, I saw way too many people get really comfortable going, hey, I think I can do this online thing. No, you can't. You, you can't because these three things that we're talking about right here, the, the unique vertical relationship of the church, the unique horizontal that we're in right now, and, the, and then the corporate visible piece, those, those can't be done on a podcast. You can't experience this driving in the car, listening to a podcast. You can't experience sitting in your boxers watching an online stream, for those who watch online streams in their boxers. You, you can't experience it that way. There is something unique that is happening here, and it's not just our absence when we're gone, but secondly, I think one of the other observations I see in the horizontal nature here is what's happening when we're actually here. The, the author of Hebrews says we're to build one another up while we're here by encouraging one another to love like Christ, to live like Christ until the return of Christ is what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Paul uses the same language of building one another up six times in 1 Corinthians 14. One commentator even said of Paul that he would encourage the gathered body to meet in dependency upon one another as vehicles of God's grace and to view the well-being and the strengthening of the whole church as actually the primary aim of our gathering. In other words, we gather as a church, yes, in, in order to worship and glorify God vertically, but we do so by thinking about how we can strengthen one another in Christ horizontally in these gatherings together. The author of Hebrews actually expects, it seems here, for believers in Christ to come to the gatherings prepared for how they're going to minister to somebody else, which absolutely flies in the face of everything our Western consumeristic driven culture has been teaching us that the church is somehow just a dispenser of goods and services. And my job is to come here and consume those goods and services here in this church, like a drive through restaurant, a McChurch, if you will, grab my order. And then when I get out, I'm going to leave a Yelp review telling the church how well I thought they met my expectations. That's not church. That's not what's in view here. Instead, we are to consider in our hearts prior to our gathering how we might stir one another on towards love and good deeds in keeping with the confession of our faith in Jesus Christ that has unified us. What would it look like, y'all, before we came to gatherings, first to empty ourselves of our own meistic expectations? What would it look like for us to actually pray before we come and go, Lord, not only prepare my heart for what you have for me here, prepare my heart for how I can minister to somebody else. Like show me when I get to this gathering who it is you want me to go talk to and give me a word for them of encouragement that helps them press on towards love and good deeds in the service of Jesus Christ. What would it look like, y'all, if we didn't come um, hurried to church and come 15 minutes late and miss kind of the first 
aspect of worship together through song and what would it look like if we didn't leave right after the sermon but actually worshiped corporately together afterwards through song and what would it look like if we even lingered after the gathering for a little bit just to ask one or two other people how are you doing and how can I pray for you right now which I'll be honest with you just straight transparency here this is one of the things I lament the most about the tornado is not having the foyer I never realized how much I missed that little space in there Needed a remodel, it got one, but I, I, there was so much good work that happened in there. It wasn't this box where we just kind of went out and, hey, let's hang out on the deck. No, it's 110, let's go home. It wasn't just that, it was like it created some lingering moments to, to see that person and to be seen by that person and to commune together a little bit right there. I think there's something to a theology of place that we need to talk about, especially as we talk about the future of a worship center, or whatever the Lord may have for us, but I lament that. But you see, the author of Hebrews says emphatically, one of the reasons we gather is so that we can corporately encourage one another, where we can go and say, hey, you're not crazy for following the Lord, and you're not crazy for long. I'm not crazy for following the Lord. Let's, let's continue, and let's keep persevering, because God, who's a promise maker, he's also a promise keeper, and he's going to carry this all the way through. Y'all, this is my prayer for Northway in our days ahead, that our gatherings would be incredibly intentional. As we move onward and forward as a church to fulfill the mission that he's given us, to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus, to see the, the vision of that mission fulfilled, to see the community around us encounter the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus Christ, pray that he would strengthen this gathering, that we truly could be a, a, city, of, a city of God within the city of man, gathering here, regularly, each and every week, and have a renewed lens and being convinced in our minds that our horizontal love and service towards one another is not disconnected from our vertical love of our Savior. And so that we would see these things present. The author of Hebrews says to do these things that we've been talking about all the more as you see the day coming. Y'all know what that means? That means what we get to do in this gathering is a trailer. It's a foretaste of what's coming when the Lord returns. John saw that vision. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude, corporate gathering, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, it's Jesus. They're clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Like that day is coming. It is guaranteed. And we get a little taste of it right now. Amen. We get a little taste of it right now. Y'all, may we not forsake the precious blessing of this gathering as some are in the unfortunate habit of doing. But instead, let's continue together all the more as we see that great and glorious day approaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the needed reminder of this text. I need it. Those days when... Our gatherings become 
rote and plastic and mechanical, and you just kind of forget. Lord, we need that recalibrating truth of your word to remind us why we're here and why this is such a grace. Oh God, help us in our resolve to not forsake this assembly, but that we would double down, triple down as the body of Christ and come ready to worship you and to encourage one another all the more as we see that day coming when we long for your return. And God, we pray this, that we might leave this place changed. We might leave this place more eagerly and bold to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus Christ. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.